Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 213 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in my new home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we kicked off our big LinkedIn Connections contest with Tom, Julie Tolick, and Lawrence Coletti as our contestants. And we encourage you to listen to that episode and play along at home. In this episode of the podcast, we dissect a commonly used legal tech saying and decide whether we think it's really true or not. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we will indeed be discussing the Maxim people, process, and technology in that order that Dennis apparently seems to be hearing and seeing everywhere lately. Um, in our second segment, we're going to talk about facial recognition and other new forms of biometrics. Uh, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, people, process, and technology. We talk a lot about technologies that lawyers can implement in their practice on this podcast, but we don't spend a lot of time emphasizing that sometimes technology comes at the end of the decision to use it, or whether it should come at the end of the decision. And, and that's why I think that Dennis has been hearing the idea that people process and technology in that order comes through the idea that before you implement the technology, you've got to make sure you've got the right people, the right buy-in, the right culture, the right process. In my job in information governance, we're going to talk about that. We talk about that all the time, but probably not in the same way that Dennis is expecting that we talk about it. Um, and to my way of thinking, it's actually a pretty straightforward uh, discussion. But so that really leads me to ask, Dennis, how in the world did this get you so confused? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, in fairness, we use this this concept in our collaboration tools book, although I think we emphasize culture probably rather than people. So it's that dynamic of people, I think, is really interesting. And that also reflects that, that other famous saying these days that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So there is this notion that if you don't fit the culture, then whatever you do is probably not going to, to work that well. So I saw this, uh, you know, there's been a number of conferences recently and, and, and I, that are covered on social media. And I, I see this quote come up a lot. And I was going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then I started to think about it, and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not totally sure this makes sense. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it means. I mean, those are the three components, but I'm not sure what it means when we say in that order. I don't know. Tom, does that give you an idea of where I'm headed with this? It doesn't. And so here's why it doesn't, because... 
I, and maybe I'm an ignorant person, literally until you brought up the subject of this podcast, have I ever heard the words in that order applied to people, process, and technology? And as we're going to talk about a little bit later, I don't really consider them to be in that order. I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think it's right. So to the extent that it is being said out there, which I will say, I deny having heard it. I, if, if I'm the only or the last person to have heard that, then... Bad on me, but I will say that if that's the case, if that's what it is, I disagree with it. I think that they all have equal importance in the scheme of things, and in the way that we deal with them in my work, it means that whatever new initiative, whatever new thing you intend to introduce... It has to involve all three elements. You have to consider all three of those elements in order for it to be successful. You've got to account for all three. You can't just account for one or two and count on it being a success. If you haven't accounted in some way for all three, then I think that chances are it's going to be a failure. But in terms of the way you phrased the proposition, I disagree with it just at the outset. Yeah, I think it's that in that order that kind of did throw me. But then as I started to look into the rest of it, I I had other questions as well. So I'm going to start at the beginning. So I realized that this notion that when you say people, that confused me. So do you mean people or does the individuals or do you mean the, the culture, which is the group dynamic? Culture seems to be the better word. And... I mean, let's face it, if, if the process isn't working and people don't want to adapt to technology, the people are replaceable. And, you know, sometimes you have the wrong the wrong people for what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that, and people leave all the time. Uh, sometimes people who are significant in the process of uh, adopting something new. So I think that it's that, I, I just prefer culture because you, you have to fit uh, and this is what we talked about a lot in the book, Tom. You have to fit the culture of where you're at because that culture is probably the hardest of these to change and the thing that's least adaptable. But if there are people who don't quite get it, they will leave or they can uh, be made to leave. Yeah, I agree with you to an extent, but I really view culture as being under the umbrella of people. People, to me, and the way that we use it is a much broader term. I think culture is important, and I'll talk about how important it is, but I don't think it's a one-for-one replacement for people. I look at the people title as covering all of the people aspects of whatever it is you're going to do. You're going to introduce a new technology. You're going to roll out something new for the company. That people covers all the aspects. People could mean a role, not an individual person. It could mean a role. In my work, um, an organization needs to hire a records manager to oversee a program. Often, it's their failure to hire or to even have any provision made for that role that stops the entire thing in its process. They can't introduce any processes. They can't introduce any technology because they have no one to, they haven't introduced a role to oversee that. It's a role that people fill. It's not really culture, not at that point anyway. It's a role. When we get closer to culture, I think, is that people also means change management. You were talking to that. You were alluding about that. If you don't have your people in the right frame of mind, if people aren't going to use the technology, if they aren't going to follow the process or they're going to follow bad processes, if you don't communicate that with them about this new thing you're doing or if you don't train them on how to do this new thing, Chances are they're not going to adopt them. So I think it definitely depends on your culture, but it's still a people thing. So I still think people is the right term, but people includes a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, and, and I think I agree with that. But I also, I also think, that, and you touch on two pieces of this. So I think that a lot of times the culture or the people aspect really doesn't come first. I mean, people don't really look at themselves very clearly or get that figured out. So that's one piece of it. And there's probably more talk than action about that. But the, the second piece where you talk about change management and people is what do you do to help the people make the changes. And so that is the communication and all of those things. So I think that in those two ways, the people part of it is important, but it's almost like when you say in that order, the way you typically see it is the people emphasis comes last and probably that people piece of communication, actually getting things implemented and making the shift in culture. I'm not sure it it comes first. Maybe it's first and last. So let's save a timeline for the end of this discussion. Let's talk about that when we get through all of these, because I'm going to disagree with you that there needs to be any order and that there can be parallel processes or parallel things going on at the same time. So maybe let's move on to process and then let's talk about what order once we've talked about all three of these. Okay. So then I thought about process and I said, you know, Part of the issue you have on on change and technology is is using technology to implement bad processes, and we all work with bad processes. In preparation for the show, I was thinking about like how much of my career I've been using processes or just unbelievably bad and and we all adjust to them you know perfectly adjust to them and i think that my thought experiment for everybody is just think about the last time you tried to explain your everyday processes to a new employee and you're just you're going okay so here's what we do and this happens and then you do this and then you do this the same thing three different ways and you enter this information in four different places and you this and this is a normal practice and you you see the look on their face and you're thinking, my God, this is the craziest way of doing things. So if you say that there is this process and you implement it with technology, that's not going to be a good result. But then a lot of times the existing technology or maybe the people or the culture keeps you from making the changes to the process that, that would make it more streamlined or people disagree with what streamlining is. I mean, where I come down on this is you assume that there's a process in place. I work with a lot of companies where there's actually no process. They don't even have a way to deal with things you would think they should have a process for. Or, or maybe it's that an organization has a process for something, but it's not documented. I work with a lot of lawyers who have very sound, defensible processes for dealing with e-discovery, but nowhere have they ever documented those processes. You know, if they win the lottery, if they get hit by a bus, how is that next person going to know how to pick up where the lottery winner left off. If they had to defend it in court, how would they know how to defend all of that? I think that there's a lot of what goes into the idea of bad process, and I think no process is part of that too. I'm going to still say that that to say that process has some sort of importance over people in this whole equation is not the right question to be asking, but I will save my ammunition for later in the conversation. Right. I mean, I sort of think that to really go in and look at the process and re-engineer it, to me, is the important thing. But like you said, we'll come back and circle back to the order. So the third piece, technology. And I guess this is what really got me thinking, because I kind of think that there's two things. We use the existing technology, and it drives a lot of this stuff. So 
it's not like we're in this uh, place where there's no technology, that we're adapting to technology all the time. If you're in the corporate setting, you may find that your financial system or other software is driving behaviors that are, are, are just bizarre, you know, so, and they're not going to change. And I also think when you bring in technology, Tom, we've seen this in, in a number of things, and especially in the collaboration space, that, you know, people take them up and they go in different ways than you might expect. And so Slack is a great example of that, is of people figuring out ways to do things. Skype for Business is another thing where people figure out workarounds to, to what's going on. So I, I think that, that actually a new technology dropped in, in the best sense of the word, because there's plenty of examples where this happens, where new technology is gets dropped in and and people get told to use it with no training. I actually think that technology can itself drive some of this in a way that is the opposite of what that phrase says. Well, I think it's certainly not a radical thought about using existing technology no matter what. And, and my parting shot talks about that to some extent. I'm going to revisit this topic when we get to our parting shots. Our first recommendation for our clients is to use existing technology. Cost is often the first objection to introducing a new process. Let's say that we have something or a better way of doing it, then the first question is, well, how are we gonna pay for this? And how are we gonna actually make this happen? So you've gotta find a way to counter that objection. If you can make it happen while using the technology you already have, you've already won. And so I still think that saying that tech can drive people and processes, I will disagree with that to the extent that, and really I'm gonna say it right now, now, we approach the idea of people, process, and technology from what is your problem that needs to be solved? And what if that problem doesn't involve or have a technology solution? Technology is not going to drive that. What if the solution is solely process-oriented? Well, then process is going to drive it and over people or technology. And so I guess I'm cutting to the chase here and saying that I think that the order it comes in is the order in which you solve your problem or what is the way in which that problem needs to be solved because all three of those may come into play and you determine the priority of those things based on whatever that problem is that needs solving. Right. And, and I think that it is that, that notion of in that order that is bothersome. And, and so I, I sort of have, uh, you know, two different ways of thinking about that. And one is that in a lot of cases of these three things, several of them are, you know, could be two of them are fixed, you know. You may not have technology budget, so nothing's going to happen there. Right, you're going to have to figure out some kind of workaround. Or the people who were opposed to something are not going to change. And that's going to you know, create this constraint. And so the process is going to proceed in this sort of workaround fashion. And the other thing that I got thinking about was another maxim of you know, is better, faster, cheaper. You can have two out of three. You just need to pick. It could be... My thought is in people, process, and technology, can you get two of those working right? And is that enough? But you got to decide which two of those those are. And that to me is an open question. And maybe you put your effort into the things that you can, the two of them that you can actually have the most impact. I think that's difficult. I think that's really hard. I mean, if you do, you're making compromises somewhere. I think that looking at it from different ways, you said if there's no budget for technology, maybe it stops right there unless you're using existing technology. If you can't get people, 
if you can't get a person, then that's either the budget issue or a resource issue. The person doesn't exist or that kind of talent is scarce. I mean, in that case, you've got to decide, is there a business case where you can persuade people who can do something about the budget or do you quit it right then? I will argue that I don't think I'd ever recommend that something stops because the process is bad. If it's bad, whose fault is that? Fix the process. I mean, get someone to help fix it for you. I mean, I don't think that process is ever a reason for why something should stop. I think that it's going to be because people won't change or because there aren't people to do certain things or that there's not technology uh, or a budget for the technology that happens. But I'm going to just, I'm just going to say that here's how we approach it with my work. When we make recommendations to organizations on how they can improve their information governance, we lay out a roadmap of projects. And, and I'll just use a simple project of Getting your retention schedule updated. Very simple, basic thing to do. Well, that's primarily a process and a people and maybe a technology all rolled into one. So we say, all right, how do they all get involved? Well, process is obviously developing the schedule and how to follow it. So we develop a policy and a schedule and maybe procedures on how to follow that particular thing. But then we think about, all right, what do we need to do when we roll this out? Well, we've got to train people who've been keeping things forever that it's not good to keep things forever. So how are we going to communicate to them that they need that it's a good thing to say you can get rid of old stuff and you can still get your job done you're not doing a bad thing if you get that done so that comes into play too but it doesn't come to play first or last it comes in while we're developing the retention schedule or maybe after we've developed that schedule so we know what we're working with and then the question is is there a way technology can help us enforce the retention schedule. Maybe you can with email. Maybe we can get rid of email sooner and we can do it automatically so that users don't have to worry about dealing with their email that way. And we address how can we help enforce the schedule through technology. And so they're all intertwined. There's no order to it. It's what makes the most sense based on the problem that needs to be solved. Here it's how do we keep records the right amount of time and you design however you approach people, process, and technology based on that problem. And I think that Tom, I'm going to end up where you are, really, is that I think there is this notion that gets buried in all of these projects. Well, not all of them, but I, I think the projects that get this right say, okay, what is the problem? And we're not looking for a technological solution and then the problem that it fits. We're saying, what is the actual problem? And it could fall into these categories I think there is this notion of jobs to be done that I come back to and say, what is it that you're actually trying to accomplish? And then, and then I think I'm really going to agree with you, Tom. I think I agree with you that I think it's getting the processes right that is is going to be the most important thing. And maybe maybe what I would put first in the path. And partially that's because I think there are two people, and it's the timeline thing you said. There's two places that people come into play. And I think it's to move it forward in the implementation, the communication, the selling of it, that the people become truly important. And I think that getting the process right maybe comes much earlier in the timeline than a lot of people actually do. So I don't know, Tom, you want to wrap that up? That's basically my thoughts on the topic. No, I'm glad to see that once again, we've both come full circle to agreeing with each other. So that's a great thing as usual, um, or maybe not for the popularity of this podcast. But the only actually disagreement I'd have there is, is that what if, and I'll come back to my retention schedule, what if your company doesn't have anybody to help enforce the retention schedule? 
you got to hire somebody to do that, or you got to appoint somebody inside so the people actually does come first, or it can come first at that point in time. And so that's why I say, I don't think there's any strict rule about what comes first and what doesn't. I think you start with the problem, you decide how it needs to be solved, and then you decide which comes first and how that all rolls out from there. So, And we're talking about the ideal world, because I would say in those cases where there's not a person and it's a difficult problem, that there is a tendency at a lot of places just do just ignore it and pretend the problem doesn't exist. And that is one very common way of dealing with things that we obviously would not advocate, but that is sadly the case in many places. Yep, totally agree. And if we can uh, if we can end on anything, we can end on hoping that finding a new way to think about people, process, and technology will maybe help organizations and law firms get off of that inactivity and actually start working on something. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. You get home from an event where you've met some potential clients. You create a Text Expander snippet with a follow-up message, use fill-in fields for the contact name and custom topic, quickly produce personalized emails to everyone by expanding and filling in your snippet, share your snippet with colleagues, and everyone gets done faster. Visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. I recently got a new iPhone 10, and I am just loving it. I especially like the facial recognition, which is even cooler than the fingerprint recognition I had grown to rely on earlier. So I thought it might be a good time to reflect on facial recognition and other new approaches to biometrics and whether the end of the password era might actually be coming into view. Tom, facial recognition, are you on board with it? Well, I, I will just say that it's good to see you're catching up with the rest of us on this facial recognition thing. Personally, I have been using facial recognition for, I don't know that it's been a full two years, but it's been almost two years with Windows 10. Um, Windows Hello is, I think, a really fantastic way to log into your Windows-based computer. You can either use your face, your iris, your fingerprint. It gives you any one of those options. I love that I can just start my computer up, the camera turns on, it sees my face, and I'm in literally in a matter of seconds. So the same kind of magic you feel with your iPhone, I've been feeling with my laptop for a long time. I think it's, and frankly, my, my desktop as well. I think it's a great feature. You know, I've tested out in a couple of ways. I put a hat on, I took my glasses off, I, I put something in front of my face. I actually had somebody else, somebody completely different sit in front of my laptop. So far, it's actually worked really well. I think experts, I read recently, were able to get in with a printed photo of a person, but apparently that photo was taken with some sort of infrared camera, so it wasn't something that just the average person was going to do. And Microsoft's actually already fixed the issue. So I, I think 
that sort of security issue is a, is a rare occurrence. I think, but no matter what biometric means that you use to access the device, I think you're right. The primary benefit to that is is no more having to remember complicated passwords or maybe no more assigning really simple passwords to your important devices because you can't remember or want to remember the complicated passwords. So I think that that to me is the benefit of Windows Hello on my laptop and why I prefer it. Here's the trade-off though. Here's the part that I think is a, is a challenge, at least for how lawyers are thinking about this. From a confidentiality standpoint, there are a lot of people who are not fans of biometric security because we're already seeing courts say Say that you cannot be compelled to give up your password to your phone. But if you use your fingerprint to access your phone, you can be compelled to give up your fingerprint. It is a part of you, like giving up a blood test or blowing into a breathalyzer. You can be compelled to do that. I think that's kind of crazy. I think we're still in early days in sorting all of that out. But I'm a little concerned about, even though it makes it easier, even though we move past the password, I think from a legal standpoint, we may be getting into uh, some interesting waters. Those kind of decisions just seem really wacky to me based on what the technology is yes. and, and, the, and the parallels. So, um, yeah, it'll take some time to evolve. I think that having, you know, moved recently and we've been setting up new accounts, my wife and I, and doing new passwords and stuff and using one password. And even with that, I mean, the strong password thing is is a killer these days. And then when you have to do new passwords and then, you know, different sites have these weird things which force you into less strong passwords. You know, you can't use symbols or, you know, this or that. And it is very complex. And so you like the notion that for me, like I hold the phone up and it recognizes who I am and, and I go on. It's great. I mean, I love, I love the thumbprint when I did that, but this seems even easier and faster, sort of incrementally faster. And it's just one of those, those things that you really like. It almost feels like you're, you know, back in the days before people put passwords on, on phones, that it's that easy. So I think that's really intriguing to me. Like Tom, you and I talked that I'm interested in how, when I look at something when I'm in bed, and typically I don't read with my glasses on, that it, it won't recognize me now. And so I'm curious whether over time it will learn to recognize me without glasses. And, and people have talked about the hats and the sunglasses uh, to fool it. And the photo thing, I've seen, you know, I've definitely seen examples a few years ago where people could fool uh, facial recognition with a, with a photograph. But that's probably, as you said, Tom, basically been taken care of. But there are a bunch of other things out there from from eye scans to heartbeats. Uh, that was one of the things for me that was interesting about being at MasterCard as people looked into all these different biometrics. And there are a surprising number of things that are really distinguishing to you. And there is that, you start to look into that trade-off where you say, if with what I'm doing in passwords and the risks that I have there versus what it might be that if, you know, somebody can figure out a way to spoof my face or my heartbeat or whatever, I think the risk is a lot less on biometrics, especially if they're easy to use, than where we're at on uh, strong passwords. So something for everybody to think about, Tom. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So uh, my parting shot is related to our uh, our first topic, and it's an article that I read um, this 
past week from The Verge, one of my favorite tech sites. It's called The Best Gadgets Are the Ones You Know How to Use. I find that I often get um, a little superior around people that I know who stick with that iPhone 6 or that old clunky laptop. I think to myself, or sometimes I say right out loud, you could be using such better technology than what you have. But, but there really is something to the idea that we feel more in control of the technology we know how to use instead of feeling beholden to it, instead of being at its mercy. Um, this is not giving you permission not to try new things, to find new technologies that help solve your problems. We still want you to do that, but I think there is something to the notion that sometimes the technology you already have is the right technology for you to be using at this moment. So something to think about. And mine, as, as usual, Tom, I'll take up the mantle of mentioning to people that the new edition of our Collaboration Tools and Technologies book is now available on the, the ABA online bookstore. And then my other parting shot is a really interesting article in the smallbiztrends.com blog, I would call it, or, or site, which talks about the Google Suite or G Suite. And they have a marketplace of apps. And, it, and this, this article from April mentions 25 of these G Suite apps that would be useful for small businesses. And it's it was really intriguing to me because there's a lot of cool things from, you know, email helpers to ways to do charts um, and other just really useful little tools, online schedulers that you can add to your G Suite. So if you have the Google apps, and a lot of people do in small business, these are little helper apps that can be really useful. And it's, it's worth taking a look through there. Tom and I we're talking before the recording, though, they do make it a little bit hard in this in the store to know what's truly free and what you might have to pay for an ongoing service. So you sometimes have to do your homework to see what you're getting into. But um, there were a number of things from survey tools, like I said, to chart tools that looked especially good to me. So definitely worth a, a look there. And Tom, as, as you mentioned as well, there's similar apps for Office uh, 365. And we live in a world of apps and it's uh it's interesting to uh discover what's on all the different platforms and uh, helper apps you can find no i think that the app economy uh the, the app environment that that approaches both g suite and office 365 is really i hate to be dramatic about it but i think it's really the future i think it's something everybody needs to pay attention to because it's a brilliant way to bring services into the platform um, that can actually help you get more work done and be more efficient when you're doing it so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, connect with us, uh, or message us on LinkedIn, don't forget our show voicemail number. It's 720-441-6820. We love to get questions for our B segment. We invite you to leave a question that you can answer on the show anytime. Again, that number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.